Welcome to the Altruistic Libertarian, Advocate for a Genuinely Free Society. I am Anthony Wheeler, and today we begin a series of episodes on the metaphysical basis for a genuinely free society. We begin our journey with another philosophical problem. And that problem is, why is disagreement among people so common? In other words, why can't we easily reach a consensus on important issues? After all, we're all human and we all live in the same world. Sure, we agree about simple things, like the color of the sky or the shape of the earth, that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that kind of thing. But it doesn't take long to discover our differences. Best pizza, Chicago or New York? The greatest basketball player that ever lived, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? The Beatles or the Stones? But even these arguments are relatively trivial. Our differences become deadly when they become ideological or theological. Sartre puts it like this in his What is Literature? Quote, And then, I distrust the incommunicable. It is the source of all violence. When it seems impossible to get others to share the certainties which we enjoy, the only thing left is to fight, to burn, to hang. These differences exist everywhere. Allow me to provide some examples. Recall the argument in the last episode between Karl Popper and Ludwig von Wittgenstein on the question of whether or not genuine philosophical problems actually exist. It doesn't get much more fundamental than that, and they share a common language, German, a country, they're both from Austria, and a history, they're contemporary contemporary philosophers in the mid-20th century. Remaining within philosophy, here is an example from a recent American philosopher, Arthur Danto. He writes, quote, There is a lot of quine that I think is just sort of poor. I admire Nelson Goodman as a moralist of philosophical thought, but his program seemed to me to be laughably inadequate. The later Wittgenstein strikes me as hazy. It is beautifully written, marvelous thought, but philosophically of no significance whatsoever. He continues, I am in complete disagreement with Rorty. I don't see any structure in him. The language of French intellectuals has always seemed to me barbarous and intolerable. I think Derrida was wrong and perverse from the start. Unquote. I'm not going to debate Danto. just want to consider his comments an excellent example of major disagreement among contemporary American philosophers. One more example, this one closer to home. Ayn Rand was a severe critic of John Stuart Mill, summarized by her statement that, and I quote, On Liberty, that is a work that we've already encountered in the last episode, one written by John Stuart Mill, is the most pernicious piece of collectivism ever adopted by suicidal defenders of liberty. That's from her philosophy, who needs it? That would make me one of those suicide defenders, seems how obviously I've used John Stuart Mill and his On Liberty. I dwell on this question of disagreement because the solution is fundamental to the altruistic libertarian's worldview. One of the keys to our philosophical problem is the epistemological question of what people can know and how they can know it. Let's begin with Plato's Parable of the Cave. As you may recall, in the cave, everybody is chained in such a way that they can only look at the wall in front of them. Everything they know is based on what they, they see on that wall. What they don't know is that behind them, a fire burns and casts light in all directions. 
Between the fire and the people in the cave stands a low wall. Behind this wall, other people hold up various shapes and figures and move them along the wall up and down. The shadows created by these shapes are what the people see moving along the wall in front of them. At one point, a man breaks free and runs out of the cave, but he is immediately blinded by the sun. Confused and frightened, he returns to his place in the cave and comfort. Later, another person is forcefully dragged from his place in front of the wall and brought into the light. It takes time, but he becomes accustomed to the bright light of truth and decides to return and share what he has learned. But when he does, he discovers he cannot see in the dim light of the cave, but he perseveres and attempts to share the truth he has learned. But nobody believes him. He is blind and he talks crazy, so they kill him. In my worldview, actuality refers to the physical universe in total. Every physical manifestation can ultimately be reduced to fundamental actuality. Reality pertains to what individual humans perceive and understand in the totality of their existence, making up each person's unique worldview. This is known collectively across all humanity as a human universe. In terms of Plato's parable of the cave, human reality is the multidimensional, fully colored shadow that dances upon the cave wall and all subsequent derivations, including sensations, perceptions, emotions, sex, pain, dreams, memories, thoughts, language, family, friends, concepts, ideas, imagination, work, entertainment, culture, games, society, religion, ideology, history, dogma, mathematics, science, philosophy, art, and literature. In short, the human universe. Actuality is that which casts the shadow. Once the shadow is cast, humans process the input in countless ways. Specific human notions such as quality, trust, justice, good, evil, compromise, and greatness emerge from the physical, mental, and cultural state in which we live. Such things as honor and love don't exist independently of, a hu of human minds and human discourse. They can't be found or discovered in the actual universe, yet reside in infinite ways within an individual mind. For most people, most of the time, the ultimate unreality of our perceptions and the imprecise nature of language remain irrelevant. We're all pragmatists in our da daily lives and routinely communicate with, with each other effectively enough to get through the day. Yet physics is to engineering what metaphysics is to pragmatism, in that physics, physics attempts to understand the actual nature of existence, and metaphysics attempts to understand the place of humans within the world. In both cases, regardless of any potential application or implication, engineering and pragmatism simply use whatever works. It may seem useless to, to invoke a metaphysical model that deliberately bypasses human perspective, one that explicitly ignores what a person can see, think, or say, in ways that fundamental discoveries in particle physics appear completely useless in contributing to human society. Yet such esoteric elements may prove impactful. 
At one time, E equals MC squared was only a theory, and yet the practical implications of that theory now cast an evil world-ending shadow. Scientists and philosophers seek the truth, the former within the natural world and the latter within the human universe, regardless of potential application or disturbing implication. Any truth attained is always partial and context-dependent, yet of value nonetheless, as these partial truths may lead, like stepping stones, to something truly significant. So we must dip outside the realm of human understanding and consider that which is, by definition, unknowable, in order for us to return with the critical implications that will be presented later. Nothing actually exists in the, ways, in the way humans perceive it to exist. Every rock, tree, animal, and planet is something that humans bound off from everything else in order to distinguish that particular thing. It's both arbitrary and necessary, and that making these distinctions are critical to navigate the actual world and to remain alive within it. Consider a snail gliding along the rock surface, rock surface in the rain. The creature encounters these elements with some kind of perception and understanding as evidenced by its behavior. So what we call rock, water, and air exists in some manner for a particular snail. But imagine how different a snail's perspective is from yours. Even as you stand over it in the same place, the same time, and in the same rain. As you do so, consider this. Relative to the actual universe, your perspective is no more valid than the snail's. Your reality is no better or more true than the snail's. Ah, but you disagree. As a human, you think you see more, understand more than a snail. But that's not necessarily the case. As the snail senses, feels, and perceives things, a human never will. Two entirely different worlds, yours and the snail's, neither of them better or more true, just different. From a non-human and a non-snail's perspective, neither the human nor the snail's perspective is privileged. Neither perspective experiences the actual universe in a pure, unmediated form. Now imagine a world where nothing living exists. No plants, bacteria, humans, snails, or giraffes. Just rock, water, and air, etc. Except that rock, water, and air are all human constructs. Even if we take away the words and just consider the substances, rock, water, and air, in some pure sense, they only exist in that pure sense from a biological perspective. Absent biological beings, nothing discernible, identifiable, or distinguishable exists. The only things that exist in this lifeless world are forces, particles, and waves. Again, the words human constructs. All these forces, particles, and waves are completely arbitrary and meaningless absent a biological perspective. They exist without distinction, without an active biological presence. In other words, if the earth is suddenly denuded of all life, the remaining wreckage wouldn't exist in any specific manner. All the cars, buildings, and bones would simply become indistinguishable forces, particles, and waves without distinction of any kind. Objects do not exist outside a human perspective. From a non-biological perspective, everything in the universe is made up of particles or strings and or forces. From this non-human perspective, where one object, from a human perspective, begins and ends or behaves is irrelevant. 
A rock sitting on the ground is just a bunch of molecules, particles, fundamentally no different than the dirt and air that surrounds it. What we call a cat is a conglomeration of organisms and cells and atoms that exist temporarily within a specific time and place, the word cat, an arbitrary unit invented by humans. In a word, Kant's thing in itself doesn't actually exist, either by definition or in fact, anywhere. That is because things don't exist, absent a human perspective. Plato's ideal forms are a human fiction, found only in minds and books. Science has made plain that humans do not directly perceive the actual world. Take vision, for instance. Light reflects off an object, and the photons strike receptor cells in the cornea. These cells send signals to the brain, where they are interpreted and provide a person with a three-dimensional model derived from two-dimensional input. This image is mediated by too many factors to list, in that it doesn't present what is actually there in total or even in part. Radio waves, particles in the air, radiation of several types, and magnetic, magnetic fields all go unnoticed and unperceived. Humans don't actually see anything actual in that the objects within the field of vision are mere reflections that the human brain must interpret to make the images meaningful. It requires a mental buildup of relevant context to make any particular image meaningful, something that a person can use to assess and act. Well, that concludes our, for, our show for today. Next time, we continue our metaphysical exploration of the basis for a genuinely free society. Until then, peace.